Well, I'd say thank you to most of the Havilands for leading worship today, uh, and Brad and Julia. Uh, welcome, Hallows Church. Uh, Mark, and I'm an elder here at the church. I'm so thankful to see everyone here today. I have the privilege to uh, preach in God's Word during this Advent season. I don't know about you, but Advent season is one of our family's favorite times of the year. This is the season when we have the most traditions and rhythms and to prepare for the celebration of the birth of Christ. We love the songs so much that we are playing them all year long, but the day after Thanksgiving is when the Advent season officially begins in the Haviland household. To kick off the season, we go get the chubbiest Christmas tree we can find. And I mean chubby, get in your way, take up a lot of floor place, awkwardly wide tree. So the Friday, the Friday after this Thanksgiving, we went to our free tree farm and tromped around in the mud and the rain till we found chubs. That's what we call our tree each year, chubs. And we got home and I measured the ceiling and I cut the bottom of the tree so it fit. We brought the tree in, wrapped, and we found the right place because we have a new home, so we had to find a new place for chubs. And then we snipped all the, all the strings and it popped open with all its glory. And we put the lights on the tree and we prepared for the next day to put our ornaments. So on Saturday, we get our Christmas PJs on, we play Christmas music, and we um, get ready to decorate the tree. And everyone in our family receives an ornament every year, so they all have their own box full of ornaments that they've cherished and loved. And after our move this year and our construction project, the box for Preston was missing. We looked through our, all the Christmas containers, but could not find his box. So I went out to the shelves with all the boxes that we still haven't found something to put in and it wasn't there. Then we went into the storage and looked through every single box behind all the shelves, uh, but his box was missing. So we were 40 minutes into searching. Everyone's waiting to hang their ornaments and still know nothing. We had searched the house from top to bottom. Preston was holding it together but was devastated that his precious ornaments were lost. In defeat, Jess came into the living room and told the kids, we have looked everywhere and cannot find Preston's ornaments. This year, Preston is just going to hang some of mom and dad's ornaments and some of the family ornaments. Let's pray over the next year as we organize our house that we'll find his ornaments before next Christmas. And so James left the room and went to pray about finding Preston's ornaments, although he prayed, God, would you please have my dad just burst through the door and yell that he found the ornaments. A few moments later, I burst through the door shouting, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! I had found Preston's ornaments. While James was praying, I was getting ready to come back inside in defeat. But as I was taking my shoes off, I noticed a small box on the bottom of the shelf near the things that hold our cleaning supplies. The box was labeled, toilet wand refills. But I looked through every other box in the house. Why not peek in that one? When I looked inside, there were Preston's ornaments. I couldn't believe it. But through James's faithful prayer, God showed that he cares about the details of our lives. And he prompted me to look in this toilet wand refill box, which is a ridiculous place to put ornaments. <laughs> Hindsight. So that sweet miracle is one that I've seen God's love in this Advent season. It seemed like a small, inconsequential thing to have Preston's ornaments, 
but God was faithful to answer James's prayer in a really powerful and immediate way. James showed trust that God loves him enough to care about small things and showed love to Preston and to his family that he would faithfully pray for him. Uh, there's a picture of Preston with his ornament, which is awesome. Um, so please join me in, as we take a moment to pray for the rest of our time together. Father, I thank you that we're here to worship you. I thank you for the Hallows Church, for the, for the people here, for the leaders of our church. I thank you for the Rock of Hope Church um, and the other churches who worship in this building today and throughout the week. I pray today the gospel would be shown through the birth of Christ and God's love for us, that each and everyone's hearts would be open toward the gospel, that we would have confidence that God, that is God that works in us and not us who works to receive God's love, that God's love would shine through the people at the Hallows Church to our local community, for the Holy Spirit to be present and to use myself through preaching God's word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the topic, if you didn't know already, I have given today in this Advent season is love. Um, and we're going to be looking through the book of First Job. And what we're going to see is three things I'm going to walk us through is God's love revealed. Uh, for God sent his one and only son into this world to demonstrate his love for us. God's love received. We can know God through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. To atone for something is to pay back or to make amends for something you did wrong. Like if you, bought, if you brought your wife flowers after you forgot her, your anniversary would be atoning. So Jesus' atoning sacrifice is the payment required for man's sins to overcome death. And God's love reciprocated. Knowing God without exception results in loving people. We are commanded to love one another. Uh, if you please stand with me as we read God's word. Dear friends, let us love one another, because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only, one and only Son into the world that, so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We're going to start with God's love revealed. In 4.8, it says, God's love was revealed among us. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. As a family, we've been reading through the Advent book prepared by the Howells this year, which I would recommend. They're out in the foyer if you need one. And as we have been reading through the first devotions, we read of Adam and Eve's sin, of the separation of man and God. But we learn immediate, despite their sin, God had a plan. In Genesis 3.15, God says to the serpent, I will put hostility between you and the woman, and between you and your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. God had a plan from the beginning. He was committed to his people. Their people were not committed to him as we read through the Old Testament of their blatant rejection of God again and again. Throughout the Old Testament, 
we see the promise of the rescue plan. Isaiah 9, 6 prophesies, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Christ came for us. He knew our sin would separate us from God's holiness. He came for us in a way that is inconceivable to the world. Jesus left his seat in heaven where he ruled and reigned. Imagine you live in the perfect life, a job you love that pays well, gives you satisfaction, a spouse who you connect with on every level perfectly, kids who listen and obey the first time and love to spend time with you. You own a house that meets all your needs and doesn't need to be maintained, a yard with grasses green, where the trees produce fruit with no worms and leaves don't fall on your yard. You live in a neighborhood where everyone takes care of their house and yard, has great block parties, and people genuinely care for one another. It is literal perfection. But there you are, but there are your adopted brothers and sisters who have knownly disobeyed the rules of the neighborhood. They are unwelcome. And honestly, most of them don't want to be in your neighborhood, even though it would be the absolute best thing for them. The only way for them to move into the neighborhood is for you to leave the comfort of your life and move into their neighborhood to be despised and rejected, oppressed and afflicted, and ultimately led to an unjust death. Why would you leave? That's exactly what God did for us in sending his own son. He sent Jesus from his rightful place in heaven to come to earth for us. His love for us was revealed in this way. What is the verse that we have all most memorized first and can recite back in our sleep? I don't even need to put it on the screen, so say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. How? Keep going. <laughs> I'm only going the first part. Uh, so how often do we not, how often do we recite this verse and not think of this great love? For God, the God who created the heavens and the earth, so loved the world that he gave, not begrudgingly, but in his love, his one and only son. As a father, this is unimaginable to me to like give your son knowingly. In contrast to this love, we are trained in culture to see love from the eyes of ourselves and our needs and not from the sacrifice of God. The Brain and Behavior Foundation says, self-love is a state of appreciation for oneself that grows from actions that support our physical, psychological, and spiritual growth. Self-love means having a high regard for your own well-being and happiness. Self-love means taking care of your own needs and not self-sacrificing your well-being to please others. Self-love means not settling for less than you deserve. This really appears to be sound advice, but this is not what the Bible says about love. This is not the love that was revealed in Christ's coming to earth. So I rewrote what the world says about self-love to what the Bible says about love. Love is laying down your life for others' physical, psychology, sorry, and spiritual growth. Love is disregard for your own well-being and happiness. Love means taking care of others' needs and sacrificing your own well-being to please others. Love means not settling for less than loving others because God first loved us. 
The world knows this truth. When you look at social media, we are not brought to tears when we see other people sacrificing for their own well-being and their happiness, but we are most moved when we see others sacrifice for one another. When doctors and nurses sacrifice for the health and well-being to take care of the sick and needy, when the dad pushes his paraplegic son to complete in a triathlon so he could experience something he could have not done by himself, when a child reunites with their deployed parent after they have sacrificed to serve their country. The world knows in their hearts what biblical love looks like and at the same time does not teach us to live that way. God revealed to us what love is by sending his own son into the world. And now we're going to move on to God's love received. Our passage today says love consists in this, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. How many of us look at our Google Calendar and get a knot in our stomachs during the Advent season? So many activities planned, people to see, houses to decorate, the perfect gifts to buy, parties to attend, people to have over, great memories to create, and you still have to go to work, school, church, kids, sporting events, clean the house, laundry to do, endless meals to make, and all the things of our non-Advent lives. The Advent season is demanding of our time. There are a few precious hours in the Advent season we have for ourselves, early in the morning, late at night, or lunch that is not planned. In times like this, often you you and I want to lean into the world claims to provide for our comfort and our peace. We stay up late and watch sports, the latest Netflix series, beat another level of Candy Crush on our phones, Find the perfect wall decoration on Amazon, watch the game, listen to another podcast, eat more carbs, and the list goes on. We think about how much we give, what we do, how we sacrifice for everyone, and how we deserve this time to relax, decompress, and just check out. I say we because I have to believe I'm not alone in this. We create times for think, time for thing, We create time for things that we think are important to us. We prioritize and sacrifice for what we love. The time we carve out can be at the expense of our own well-being. We often are not seeking comfort and peace and love, but a distraction from life. Short-term moments of happiness are distraction from the chaos. These are inadequate from what we really need, right? We know what we need, yet we are incapable of doing just that. We know that for true comfort and peace, we must lean into God's love for us in Christ Jesus. We must be in the word and sincerely praying, loving and sacrificing for others, sharing the gospel, living a life worthy of his calling. This is a tall task. Often we will do this for a month, a week, a day, or maybe only an hour before we are drawn back to the distractions of life and are diverted from what we want to do. The reality is without God, we do not have the capacity to love God, love others, or even love ourselves. What is unbelievable about the Bible in this passage is that it does not say we need to love God better for him to love us. It says that his love is not conditional. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. We Christians are loved by God because he loves us. He gave his son for us. Romans 5.8 said God proves his love, his one love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, Jesse and I have been slowly reading through a book called Habits of the Household, and I would highly recommend it if you have kids or even don't. 
It examines the habits that we get into unintentionally throughout the day and has helped Jesse and I reevaluate the moments throughout our day and how to reorient them towards Christ. One of the first things in the books is called a, is, is a bedtime blessing for our children that we say to them each time before bedtime. It's a liturgy that they eat, an, eat answer before they go to bed. There is a reminder about God's love for all of us. So I'm going to say it today. Maybe my kids can help and respond. Uh, do you see my eyes? Do, can I see your eyes? Yes. Do you know that I love you? Do you know that I love you no matter what bad things you do? Do you know that I love you no matter what good things you do? Who else loves you like that? Even more than me? Rest in that love. It's such a good reminder that, that God loves us in, if we do bad things or good things. And that we can look at people who I love us in this earth and that God loves us even more than that. It's a pretty incredible blessing. So in being in this passage over the past few weeks, I've been reminded that I am loved by God. I'm reminded that he sent his son to be the sacrifice for my sins. I am reminded that he loves me even more than I could love myself. I am reminded that I need to reflect on his love for me and the great sacrifice in sending Jesus in a manger to me and you. That he did this through Christ's sacrifice, oh, that he did this so that through Christ's sacrifice, I would be reconciled to God in faith. So I could stand holy in his presence, not because of my holiness or righteousness, but because of Christ. Do we live in this freedom of God's love for us? The freedom of not needing to perform for God's love? Do we live like God is working all things together for our good? That he has a plan before the foundations of the earth to send his son so that we might be reconciled to him? That in the midst of our sin and rebellion, he had a rescue plan for us. For those of us who call upon his name as Lord and Savior, we live through the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins. We do not live according to our works or righteousness, but his. Our sins are not forgiven because of our sacrifice or debt paid, but by Jesus taking our punishment. Even though he did not sin, it did not deserve death and separation from God. How easy it is for us to feel condemnation for our sins. But we need to live in the light that we are perfected because he was perfect, that we are holy because he was holy, that we are righteous because he was righteous. I want you to hear me clearly that our standing before God is a gift of Jesus to us. Ephesians says it in this way, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, but is a gift of God. Now we're going to move into what our response and how we reciprocate this love. Now we have seen how God revealed his love by sending his son into the world for us, and that in faith we might receive his love through the sacrifice of Jesus. Now we're going to talk about how we reciprocate this love to one another. In 1 John 4, 7 through 8, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And on to 11, dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. Now in verse 7, we are commanded to love one another because love is from God. And then in verse 8, at the same time, Jesus 
John is abundantly clear that if we do not love one another, we do not know God, because God is love. Which in turn means if we do, if we know God, we will love one another. I want to spend a little time on this. John is both commanding us to love one another, and at the same time saying, if we know God, our lives will be marked by our love for one another. Why would you need to tell a person to do something if he will be compelled to do it? In turn, why command a person to do something he cannot do? It sounds like a wasted effort. This is a human response, but not a biblical one. Here's an analogy from John Piper. Suppose that you were about to have a baby, and God came to you and said, This baby is a gift of mine, and I promise that she will live to be 100 years old. So when the baby is born, you take her home from the hospital, but you don't feed her. Your husband says, Why aren't you feeding the baby? And you say, because God promised me that the baby would live to 100 years old. So if God is going to make sure the baby will live to 100 years old, I don't need to feed it. Well, this husband is perceptive and says, how do you know that God didn't mean that he would see to it that the baby gets taken care of until she is 100 years old? How do you know that God won't let an irresponsible mother drop dead so that he can fulfill his promise through a mother who will feed this little girl? No answer. So as we apply this analogy, when one of my kids comes to a saving faith in Christ, God says that someone who knows God will always result in them loving others. God will make sure that those who know him, those who are born again, will become people who love others. With mere human wisdom, I may conclude that I don't need to train or teach my child to love others. I don't need to share the commands of God, his warnings and promises from his life-giving word because he promises to make them loving. To which someone wise might tell me, how do you know that God doesn't intend to use you to share the word of God, his commands, warnings, and promises so that they might grow in their love for others? How do you know that God wouldn't remove you and put someone else in your place to share the commands of God? Why would I think that God would fulfill his promise without providing a way for it to be completed? We conclude that biblically, God's intention is to fulfill his promises through his word and prayer. That the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrows. It is able to judge thoughts and the intention of the heart. God's word has power. God's word is a way that we change our lives. The Spirit of God fulfills the promises of God by using the Word of God. If we remove reading God's Word and praying from our lives, we take away the very means by which God intends to fulfill His promises. We risk being the one who does not love or know God because we do not keep His commandments. 1 John 5.3 says, For this is what love for God is, to keep His commandments. This is the greatness of the Bible, the wisdom of the Bible. It says to become what you are. Do what God is at work in you to do. This will help guard against two things, legalism and lawlessness. Legalism that boasts in obedience, for we cannot boast in God's work. Lawlessness that we don't need to hear or obey God's commandments, for you can't ignore the commandments of God to produce good work. This puts us right square in the power of the Holy Spirit. Hallows Church, the world should see a love among us that can only ex be explained by the supernatural work of God in our midst. We should be known for our love for one another, 
known for our love for our community, known for our love for people at our work, for helping others and not expecting anything in return, for loving other parents at school, events and park, kids for loving your classmates, known for loving people even though it doesn't benefit us. For Christ will be, be made known through our love for one another. We should love others the same way Christ loves us. He did not ask us to do something that he didn't do to a far greater extent. How do we love others? How do we sacrifice what we want, our fleshly desires, to have a love of God within us? By knowing him. Second Peter says it like this. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and goodness. We have been given everything we need through our knowledge of him. I think that's what stuck out is to become loving, we need to know God more and put our effort there, not in trying to check, check the boxes of what love is. So we know God through his word, through prayer, through knowing that God gave his son for you. There is no one we should want to know more than this God. 